What do you think of the music here? Dark rhythms, violent pulses. It stirs something primitive in me. What about you? You wouldn't have heard of anything I like. You think my taste in music is shallow? If you've heard of it, it's already too mainstream for me. Talking like a teen. I am Ashley. And I'm not Ashley. Do you remember that tweet that was going around that was basically like, name a subject that you could give a TED talk on without any preparation? This is that for me. (laughs) (laughs) And like maybe like three other things, but like definitely Mass Effect and Dragon Age. And I didn't have the same connection to Dragon Age that you did, but Mass Effect is absolutely my shit. What's weird is, like, for the first time in, I'm not exaggerating when I say years, I don't have an active game file open for either of those games right now. Because I finished my last playthrough of the Mass Effect trilogy and picked up Skyrim and have been doing Skyrim for the last, like, two months. No complaints here because Skyrim is wonderful. So there are two different types of Western RPGs as far as like what I've played and what I've experienced. You've got the games like Skyrim, where the emphasis is more on just kind of like you being able to build a character and living in that world. Right. And then you've got the game series, you know, like Mass Effect and Dragon Age, where it's more character based, where it's you are playing a character You are experiencing the world through the companions and the people that you meet and the relationships that you build. And I guess that speaks to me a little bit more than the Skyrim Fallout sort of Bethesda way of doing RPGs. Not saying that they're bad because they're not. Like I said, I've spent the last two months basically playing Skyrim. So obviously I'm enjoying it. But I am feeling an intense burnout right now with Skyrim that I don't normally feel playing the other games. Skyrim definitely has that because I remember when I played it was during one of those. Matter of fact, because I believe Skyrim came out, what, a year or two after Mass Effect 2? Like, it was pretty close together. Uh, November 11th, 2011. Okay, and I think Mass Effect 2 was like, what, winter 2010? The initial release date for Mass Effect 2 is January 26, 2010. So Mass Effect came out first. Skyrim, honestly, it was that perfect antidote of just being like, I just want to play this thing that I can kind of just get absorbed in that isn't super involved. The storylines aren't exactly super deep in Skyrim. No, Fallout no. is a little bit better than that, and I think actually a lot better than that, because I think the lore around Fallout, to me feels a little more engaging than, let's say, that of the Elder Scrolls. And I'm sure the superfans right now like flipping out. Uh, And they're probably like, oh, man, he's so wrong. So I got to go on Twitter at TLAT Podcast and tweet at them (laughs) and tell them how much that Elder Scrolls is better than Fallout and Mass Effect. It's okay to like a game. It's okay to not like a game. Everybody likes different stuff. We respect you and your opinions, and hopefully you respect us and our opinions. And also, if you want to 
well, don't yell at Ashley, but if you want to get on her, because she's totally like the person to talk to, Instagram, TLAT podcast, do it up. <laughs> you were trying to plug us, and I was trying to make sure we didn't get yelled at. I think you and I had different goals just then. Between the two of us, I think we covered our bases. And you know what? I applaud that, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to invite like angry video game trolls on our doorstep. I will fight anybody. Come at me. <laughs> <laughs> so what i wanted to ask you and especially since you're such a big fan and not that i'm interviewing you by any means but i'm just curious as far as where it comes for your love of like bioware games where did that start for you oddly enough it was a complete freak accident i for a while was doing these like themed crafty exchanges with people online and I signed up for one that was video game themed. And the person that I got listed Dragon Age as one of her favorite games. And I'm like, you know what? This sounds kind of dope. I'll play it. And I just found it on sale on the PS store and bought it. And kind of the rest was history. Mass Effect, I didn't play that until after I'd played Dragon Age. See, that I didn't know, which I'm actually kind of surprising. And how that's actually really interesting going from that to then Mass Effect. Yeah. They're very different games. And what's funny is I had a friend actually suggest Mass Effect to me because I like Dragon Age so much. I feel bad because I think I lied to him on accident. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I had somebody suggest a third. It was it was a third game in an RPG series. It might have been Fallout 3. It might have been Fable 3. I don't remember. But I think I, I misspoke to him and told him that somebody had just suggested that I play Mass Effect 3 by itself, which is a terrible suggestion. Do not do that. The worst suggestion. Like, don't ever do that. <laughs> Please. Um, we implore so he, you. <laughs> he freaked out. He's like, absolutely not. You have to play the trilogy all together. And then, like, got on Amazon, basically, and ordered it and shipped it to my house. So, like... Two days later, I wasn't expecting it at all. And the box set just kind of arrived on my doorstep. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll play this. And pretty much ever since then, I've kept playing it. So I've done like, I don't know, maybe eight or nine playthroughs now. Holy shit. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. But I love it so much. And like, it's it's awesome because your choices impact the game to the extent in which they do. Mass Effect has such an interesting way of doing role-playing. I feel like it's a game that you can continue to play and you still keep finding different things that you've never seen before. Right, exactly. And I think that's what I love about them. I don't remember when this was because it's weird. I can always tell you the moment in which I remember hearing a band for the first time or even sometimes like a comic for the first time. Mm-hmm. Video games just sort of happen, especially in the age of the internet where things just sort of happen and you don't always remember where you found out about it. Sometimes it's just a matter of a friend told me about it or maybe I just saw ads, but I don't remember who it was that got me into these games. But I do remember playing like the first two Knights of the Old Republic games for like the first Xbox. Mm hmm. This is before, I think, the Bioware formula really came into its own with Mass Effect and Dragon Age. But the idea seemed really intriguing. And as someone who grew up loving, like, Choose Your Own Adventure books and that idea that you can alter the outcome of a story based on the choices you make is just really intriguing to me. And I love that. 
Star Wars did it to an extent where you can make these choices and you'll either become a Jedi or a Sith, which, yeah, I wanted to become a Jedi because I didn't want my face all fucked up and pasty and creepy looking. <laughs> but the Sith had the cooler power, so again, give or take. Right. But the Mass Effect series, to me, I felt was this perfect game, at least to me, because it's a sci-fi space epic, interesting characters, great dialogue, and as a giant nerd, a game that has its own lore and just its own identity and, I don't know, just ecosystem, for lack of a better term. Like, it was just really cool. It's such a fun place to be. The Mass Effect setting is so great. And I just love how when the first game came out, you can change the outcome. Like, members of your party can not end up being there. Like, they could die or something can happen to them. And not only that, but an entire game's worth of storyline and choices carried over from the next game and then to the next game. And looking back, it seems like one of those sort of, like, you shrug about it. But then the fanboy to me is like, this is wild. Like, we should be way more excited about this than I think we ever were. Dragon Age and Mass Effect was the first time for me that you were able to sort of have your choices impact storylines that carried from game to game like that. Right. I don't know any other game series that do that, to be perfectly honest. I can't think of any off the top of my head. There may be a few, but I know I'm like doing myself a disservice by not remembering them. But at least to me, personally speaking, that was the first time that I was introduced to that concept on that scale. And it's so cool. Until you start doing certain things that you're not used to. Yeah. Like I said, I just got finished saying how much I love the idea that the choice you make can change the outcome. But what happens with, at least to me in the Mass Effect series, is how much of it becomes a matter of wish fulfillment or how much it becomes sort of fantasy because, like, okay, Knights of the Republic, I love Star Wars. What game wouldn't you love that would allow you to take the steps to become a Jedi or maybe even become a Sith and live in a version of the Star Wars universe? But it also is like this really big morality play. And it, the games, especially with Mass Effect, really test you to kind of see what your limits are, what you're comfortable with, what you're not comfortable with. Oh, and also really quick, shout out to Jade Empire. Oh, hell yeah. No one really talks about which was so fucking cool. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I just had to throw it out there. But the idea that you can either become this hero or maybe a villain or maybe even like an anti-hero and there's a reason, like we said, there's nine playthroughs, because you could play it so many different ways, regardless of the bad and good, but even just the powers you can use change depending on the type of character. So I always play as a good guy. It may feel like it's black and white, but I always want to do good. I always want to try to make everybody happy, but I also want to make sure that people know that, that I'm not one to be messed with. And that's cool. Mm hmm. And I do that with every game. I did it with Dragon Age. But recently, I decided to try to do an all-Renegade run of Mass Effect. <laughs> Which, real quick, like, Mass Effect, depending on your choices, you can either be, like, a Paragon, which is, like, you know, you being super awesome and everybody loves you. Or you could be a Renegade and just either talk shit um, and pretty much just <laughs> bully your way through saving the world. And... That's the thing. Like, with KOTOR, it was light side or dark side. Mm -hmm. um, with Mass Effect, it's Paragon or Renegade. And both answers are correct. Paragons, it's not shoot first, ask questions later. As far as solving problems are concerned, they tend to 
you know, be diplomatic and try and solve problems using their words. And like, yeah, bitches get hit when you're a paragon. (laughs) It happens. And reporters. (laughs) But when you do a playthrough as a renegade as well, it's not, you're not a bad guy. Um, It's ruthless is what it is. You get the job done, but you're less concerned about whose toes you step on, whether they are a part of your team or not. Yes, thank you. Because I started trying to do an all-Renegade run-through of the first Mass Effect, because I will do Renegade-type things, and especially even though I would go Paragon through 1 and 2, by the time I get to 3, I'm tired of people's shit, and definitely I'm a lot more red on that meter. (laughs) But I've never just done Renegade from the outset. At first, it was cool because most some of the people that you talk to at the beginning of the game are assholes. They're annoying. And I already have enough of a problem with authority. So, of course, me cussing out like my commanding officers, totally okay with me. <laughs> but then it just descends into this madness where someone's just like, oh, hey, I got this flash drive. Can you scan some data for me? And they're like, no. And then I end up <laughs> shooting somebody. Like, the dude was just asking you to just copy some files over. You could have just said no and walked. And then it's like, you're too dangerous to live. <laughs> like, what was happening? And it, at first it was funny, because every time I turned around and was, like, sneaking into some sort of, like, underground deal or, like, had to get intel on somebody, it resulted in me shooting them. Which, again, at first I laughed because of the absurdity of it. Yeah. But then it started to kind of screw with me a little bit, because as the stakes got higher... Like the, um, oh, what is it called? Bring Down the Sky? Yes. That whole DLC expansion where, like, the Batarians or the Batarian Separatists, whatever you want to call them, take siege of this asteroid, like, retrofitted with rockets, and that way it's hurtling towards Terra Nova. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to free the hostages, recover the bodies of those lost, take out these towers and these um, propulsion engines and this and that, and save the day. Um... I didn't save the hostages. <laughs> I chose to go after the Batarian instead. And what was wild is I got at least like 20 Renegade points for doing so. Uh-huh. So I was like, all right, let me chase down this guy because if I leave him to his own devices, he may do it again. But then the quest marker, I guess it was a glitch where the quest marker for where the hostages is supposed to be. Yeah, it doesn't go away. <laughs> And they're just a room of just charred bodies. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Like, I was not expecting to have to see the results of the choice I made. Bioware games, at least the early ones, they really do fuck with your head in that terms of if you're doing things based on, like, let's say your person and how they would perceive them. What does that say about you exactly? (laughs) Well, and they kind of bring that into Mass Effect 3 with the whole, like, dream sequence thing. Depending on who you lose throughout your playthroughs, like, you hear little clips of their voices and stuff in the nightmares. So, like, obviously, the implication being that it has affected your shepherd subconsciously, consciously, however. Oh, wow. But, yeah, Bring Down the Sky is an interesting sort of moral question, because I kind of feel like going after the Batarian guy whose name I don't remember, even though I should. Um, Is that like Balak or or something like that? Something like that. Um, I feel like that's, that should be the right answer. Right. (laughs) 
But it's obviously not. You, you, you're right. You do get like 25 or 30 renegade points for doing it. For going after him and not fucking with the hostages. But like, I don't know. I feel like long term, that's the better answer. And I thought about that too. And I was wondering, is that a good thing for me to even admit? Because I started sort of thinking about that like Spock thing. You know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Mm-hmm. And the one. Sorry. Live long and bother. Sorry, I was. I, you can't quote Spock without going into like this bad impersonation of him, like dying in uh, Wrath of Khan. <laughs> I am not doing the Khan yell. I will not do it. <laughs> but like, yeah. But okay. So these people in space, and it happens earlier because I know there's this one part where the one lady that you're contacting, who's hiding out, who's sort of been coaching you through this, gets found. Uh huh. And, like, I think it was, like, her brother or one of her, like, other people get killed, too. And long story short, like, depending on your answer, she dies, too. And I probably could have tried to save them, but this asteroid is, like, hurtling towards this planet. And not that I'm saying I'm okay with letting these people die, but... You have bigger fish to fry in that moment. Right. (laughs) But the question is, is there such a thing as acceptable losses when it comes to human life? (sighs) And, like, Mass Effect, I, I fucking hate you for that. <laughs> but Mass Effect addresses this whole idea in the third one through Garrus. And Garrus is kind of coming to terms with his growth into being part of the Turians' sort of government and making, you know, military decisions and being like, this is all just ruthless calculus. How do I, gr- how do I deal with sacrificing you know a million people to save a billion people like how do i do that how do i sleep at night and shepherd kind of talks him through it in a couple of different ways depending on who your shepherd is in mass effect 2 which i hate to say it i know it's supposed to be like terrifying and grueling and heart-wrenching but the opening of that game always kind of cracks me up because your ship's blown up you're floating in space and your body lands on a planet which pretty much gets like roasted like beyond recognition upon re-entry and you hit a planet yeah surface somehow magically you're like li- you're not even liquefied at that point you are barely matter they reformed you to like every last detail and i'm like there's some logic leads when it comes to sci-fi but no <laughs> <laughs> so i remember the because f- of course after my friend bought me this box set of games like I checked in with him on a regular basis as I was playing through it. And he, I think he expected me to be very emotionally wrought by the beginning of Mass Effect 2. Uh, spoiler alert, your character, uh, Commander Shepard, uh, dies in the first like 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> but it's brought back to life. But I, I guess he expected me to be really upset about it. And I'm like, no, this is just a dumb game mechanic because, you know, they need a way for you to be able to bring your character back to zero so that as far as game mechanics go, your character can still learn some stuff. And so if you want to, you know, reset your guy, you can reset your guy or you can remake whoever. But every time I play it now, I just think of, of the monster factory episode of mass effect two. (laughs) (laughs) Where they're like, we forgot what your guy looked like. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, man, shout out to Atlas for hipping me to that, like, a while ago, because, my God, it's I cry laughing every, every time. time. 
Oh man, Monster Factory is so fucking great. You have said this perfectly. The first game as a renegade, you're just an outright dick. Yes. Like you're really just cursing people out left and right. But there are a few times in the game where they kind of give you some leeway with it. Like anytime I would talk to like Ambassador Udina or like the council, I would just curse them out for blinking wrong in my direction because <laughs> they suck. <laughs> And those are the moments where, like, playing a renegade route is so fulfilling. When you're just like, Counselor Udina, please eat a whole entire bag of dicks because I am tired of looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's times where, like, I feel bad because then I had to curse out Captain Anderson. I'm like, I'm sorry, Anderson. No. Because I told him that he clearly wasn't fit to be a Spectre and they were right to cut him loose. What? How dare you be mean to Space Dad? I know. It's like, I'm sorry, Space Dad. It's Keith David. Why would I ever be mean to Keith David? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I I had to. Oh, no. Who got cursed the fuck out? And I almost fought him. Um, What is the name of the officer that, like, when you go back to the Citadel at one point, like, he goes to try to, like, inspect your ship? And you're like, I'm a specter now. Like, I don't answer to you. He's like, yeah, but you're also military. You fall in line. I'm like, the fuck I will? No, that's fucking, that's so fun. Because you even, like, even playing through that scene, taking the the Paragon options, you still kind of get in his face, like, look, bro, go fuck yourself. (laughs) This is my ship. (laughs) Normandy is an Alliance warship. I intend to see she's up to snuff. Normandy is an Alliance warship, but she's on loan to the Citadel. That means she's not in your chain of command. I believe there's something wrong with my ears. Did you just contradict me? This ship is council property right now. So, respectfully, please clear the gangway. Have it your way, Commander. But expect me to file a report on this. But then I hate it because part of me almost feels like, in doing so, just thinking about like that scene in uh, the first Fast and Furious of like Vin Diesel being like, You are the cop! <laughs> <laughs> Like, I essentially have, like, diplomatic immunity on some Lethal Weapon 2 shit, and I'm just cursing out people left and right. And being that I'm a human in a, a area of space where we are essentially, like, the minority species, really kind of feels shitty that I'm kind of throwing my weight around cursing out aliens when they've been here eons before we ever got here. Like, we just showed up. Mm-hmm. There is that part of me where it just feels a little uncomfortable that I'm just sort of just talking like out the side of my mouth to all these people who like it or not, as far as like their governor policies have been long since cemented. But it's like, oh, leave it to the humans that have to, you know, straighten everybody out. I'm like, I don't know. This feels like some weird like colonization type shit. <laughs> I was going to say entitled white guy shit, but we can let's let's go with. Yeah. Isn't it the same thing? <laughs> So what's interesting to me is going through the thought process of going to different planets and dealing with different people. This might be the first time that they've ever actually interacted with a human. And you being the first specter, like you are painting the picture of humanity in mass for these other species and for this whole galaxy. Right, exactly. And you can either take that and take that to heart and take it very seriously and approach it diplomatically or you can just be like that's really fucking cool power time (laughs) like and just be a complete asshole it's i don't know the whole paragon renegade thing is really interesting to me 
I wish that there weren't so many game mechanic things that were hung up on it so that you could role play a mixture of both and not have the world explode. Right. Not everything's black and white. The world's complicated. Decisions are complicated, especially when you're dealing with saving lives, losing lives, um, war, uh, genocide. Like, you know, the Mass Effect series deals with some really heavy topics that for a video game, you know, you could try to play it as mindless entertainment, but you're doing a lot. I mean, the whole second game has you playing as a member of this. It's a, it's a terrorist group. Yeah, they're flat-out terrorist group, um, essentially supposed last-ditch effort to save mankind because all these human colonies are just getting sucked up by like these collectors. And you play along to not only investigate, but also it leads you closer towards the largest threat in the trilogy, which is uh, this alien race called the Reapers that were long since thought to be extinct but have resurfaced. You're a part of these ragtag groups of outcasts, killers, thieves, you know, all of you are expendable and no one really thinks of them in such high regard. You're the perfect candidates to go on what's essentially a suicide mission to save not even just the world, but it more leans on humanity because that's who Cerberus Mm -hmm. is really dealing with. And it's really off-putting in a way, depending on how you play that game and how you really wish to interact with that and the more i think about it it's a really good concept but i wish that mass effect 2 especially didn't deal with things in such a black and white manner because just a situation like this doesn't work that well and i think two and three with the introduction of the interrupts as a game mechanic allow you to sort of engage with the world a bit more naturalistically but you're still right i mean at the end of the day like you still want to max out one route or another so that you have the options available to you to do things like you have to pass a Paragon or Renegade check to keep Miranda and Jack's loyalty when they have that fight. And this, the same thing happens with Tally and Legion. If you side with Legion for some odd reason, I don't know why you would, you lose Tally's loyalty and then because all of the loyalty stuff is is sort of combined with all these weird algorithms and other things that you've done, you can lose her on the suicide mission very easily just because she's not loyal. And I do like that idea that they tried to make it a little bit more balanced regarding the things you can do and your loyalty and interacting with all of these people who, again, are very left of center or even right of center, depending <laughs> on who you have on your team. Because you can have someone like Tali or someone like Zaid. <laughs> hey, don't touch. That rifle's older than you are. I call her Jessie. That's my lucky charm. More men have been killed with that gun than died in the Skillian Blitz. The day I laid her to rest was the saddest day of my life. I give up every weapon I own for one more mission with that shitty old rifle. So, (laughs) Zaid is my dude. I love him. He is great. He is out of his fucking mind. But I need a game, and this is why the series needs to come back. I need an Elcor companion in the game. Hell yeah. Like, what is Blasto's partner's name? Oh, shit. I should know this. Quit asking me questions I don't know the answer to. (laughs) <laughs> I just need someone that every time I talk to them, prints every single by saying, badassfully. 
badassfully. Damn it, you big stupid jellyfish. I'm just three solar days from retirement. <laughs> the morality play, I think, is the most interesting part, but the characters, I think, is really what makes the series so much fun. Who are your favorites? Who are, okay, I can tell you who are not my favorites. <laughs> Ashley, sorry. <laughs> Everybody's favorite racist. Goddamn space racist. <laughs> I'm so angry. Like, I spent so much time yelling at Ashley. I saved you from being murdered by the Geth. I bring you onto my ship, and the first thing you tell me is, there are too many aliens on the ship. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Drag her. <laughs> and this is not in defense of Ashley, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't agree with it, but I get it. If we ever, you know, engaged with aliens, like, we would put humanity first, and there would be those people that would be very skeptical and very non-trusting of aliens. But I guess it's really annoying to me, because in the game, we're kind of at this point of humanity needs to be respected as well, but I'm like, well, you gotta give it to get it. Exactly. You can sort of nudge Ashley to be more accepting, but, like, I don't put in the time. <laughs> because if you leave her alive and she pops up a Mass Effect 3, guess what happens? All that work you did went right out the window. Uh-huh. Shepard, you're cool, but you're a Cerberus now. I'm like, no offense, but you would have ended up here. Yeah. You would have joined up with Cerberus in a heartbeat. Don't judge me. <laughs> and then become a Spectre and then, like, help Udina be a dick. Like, no. I should have shot her. And I didn't. And I restrained myself. <laughs> So, I know you're doing your, your all-renegade playthrough now. Have you gotten to Viermeyer? Have you done the Caden and Ashley thing? Nope, not yet. Okay. But you know the answer to that question. I mean... Ashley's going kaboom. I would prefer that you keep my dog alive. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell people that. People are going to think I'm blowing up dogs. No. <laughs> your dog is named after Space Caraba, as I've been calling him. Well, okay, so <laughs> it's not that I have this this huge attachment to Caden as a character. I like Caden as a character, but I also tend to like the normal guy in a group of crazy weirdos. And that's kind of what Caden is. Like, yes, Caden has space magic and all this other stuff, but like, he's just a regular, like, good old Canadian boy. I keep forgetting he's Canadian. He's so Canadian. Plus, like, Caden is a real name. I couldn't, I didn't want to spend the entirety of my dog's existence explaining what a Garrus Vicarian was. <laughs> <laughs> so. Ah, uh, but Caden is cool. I mean, he means well, little emo. <laughs> there's, there's a fan theory that I've read that suggests that he's on the spectrum. I believe it. It makes his character make a lot more sense. I'm sorry, he just always looks like Chris Carabber to me. <laughs> as soon as you walk away from him, like I feel like he's just gonna pull out a guitar. It's like, I've written a note. It's pressed between pages that you've marked to find your way back. It says, does he ever, ever get, get the, the girl? girl. <laughs> it's just like, I should go. <laughs> 
I. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like Garrus is like, I'm trying to do calibrations, but this acoustic guitar is annoying the piss out of me. Who is that? Tell him to stop. All right. So who's my team? Okay. I got to go Mass Effect 2. My team that's insanely OP, murderous psychopaths. I love them. We dominate. We crush. Nobody's left alive every time you come through. It's my film chef, Zoe. I got Garrus and Jack. Nice. Fuck with us. Wait, you can't because we're unstoppable. <laughs> I always, not so much in the first game. For some odd reason, he is really bad in the first game. He's not tough and he never seems to be where he's supposed to be. He gets killed a lot. But second, third game, always bring Garrus with you. Everybody's favorite space boyfriend. He's so sweet. My space boyfriend. He's dropped a lot of bodies, but you know what? He won't drop your heart. Aw, Garrus. But I wonder if maybe his playing ability in the first game works with the storyline because he's still very much the conflicted cop where it's like, I want to do the right thing. I'm totally okay with bending the rules, but I'm working in such a rigid system. So I'm kind of like teetering back and forth. Like Garrus really is like the Brian O'Connor of Mass Effect 1. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but almost all of that, the AIs fucking suck in the first game. I learned at the hard way. It's like, uh, Rex, could you please not charge? Oh, wait, he's dead. <laughs> and I end up using Rex a lot anyway, just because, like, he seems to be the only one who can, like, get hit more than once and not immediately die. <laughs> Until he gets, like, that one, like, Geth Commando, the one that's on, like, the four legs, uh-huh. gets, like, that one rocket blast at the face. Yep. Then he's dead. <laughs> But my team right now in my Renegade run of Mass Effect 1 is Ashley and Caden because of the two people I'm okay with cursing the fuck out, it's those two. Caden is also very funny. He has his moments when in the Renegade playthrough where he kind of tries to call you out, but he's kind of a pussy, so he's not really... (sighs) That's mean. Um, He's not really a pussy. He is respecting the chain of command. (laughs) Yeah, but it's at a point where it's like, come on, my guy. Like, little personality's okay here. Respecters, where I'm a specter. <laughs> or maybe he watched you curse out Ashley so much, he's like, damn, I'm not trying to catch any of that, so let me... <laughs> right? <laughs> Direct the Shepherd Fury over that way to my girl, Ashley. Because <laughs> I already remember talking to Rex for the first time, and he's being like, oh, being human stuff, but uh, your people don't really have to deal with the extinction of your species like we do. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Anyway, I think I left the stove on in the Mako. I'll be right back. <laughs> That's such a cool conversation, because no matter which way you play it, you're wrong. You put your foot in your mouth. And it's to show you just how bad the fucking Krogan have it. The genophage is such an awful thing when you think about it. That's the decision that when I sabotage the cure and like did the renegade things in Mass Effect 3 for the first time, like that shit hit me hard. I had to take a break. When I first heard about it in the second one, when there kind of is a little bit of word that, you know, they were working to sort of stem the tide. I already was invested to try to help out. So then when it goes back to it in three, it's like, absolutely, I want to help cure the genophage. And then, of course, everybody's like, well, if you do this, then the crow going to be overrun. But I'm like, you know what? Then y'all deal with it. But I'm not okay with killing an entire species, which is why I helped the Rachni out. Because, like, 
I told line at genocide. It's bad enough I have to execute some dude who's selling like aftermarket tech at like a, a store in the Citadel, being like, these items are too expensive. You're price gouging. Blam. Because <laughs> I know if someone rolled up in Best Buy and did the same shit, it'd be really messed up. So it's not okay here, but I'm not okay with dooming an entire alien species. One that I just discovering is a thing. Yeah, but they look like big bugs, Adrian. The Rachni are not cute. Well, neither are the Protheans, but you know. <laughs> oh, the Protheans are also very creepy. Which also, uh, thanks to Javik for making you no longer feel bad for the fact that they got wiped out. I was like, you're an asshole. No wonder y'all didn't survive. <laughs> like, you're a dick. Like, I'm sorry you're the last of your kind, but it's like, can, can you try to say hello? Unsupportive bastard? I never imagined actually meeting a Prothean. This has been amusing. Oh? To discover the most primitive races of my time now rule the galaxy. The Asari, the humans, the Turians. There's also the Solarians. The lizard people evolved? I believe they're amphibian. They used to eat flies. <laughs> but Javik being an asshole is such an interesting aspect of Liara's character arc in that she spent all of this time, her whole, you know, adult life, professional life, researching the Protheans and looking up to them. And it's, it's it is sort of hero worship. And then coming to find out that this race of people that she thought were super intelligent and really great and, you know, peaceful leaders of their time to find out that they're essentially just, you know, creating an empire and, you know, conquering warlord guys, like, it's disappointing. But it's a lesson that she needed to hear in order to sort of harden her character further. Right. What was your team? Like, across the trilogy, like, who was, like, your go-to team? Um, I usually do Liara and Garrus in the first game. It depends on what class I end up rolling. I like the tech powers a lot. So I usually end up doing one of the tech hybrid ones. So I'll either take Liaran Garrus or Liaran Rex. Two and three, basically, I take Garrus with me everywhere. Especially with uh, Mass Effect 2, where so many of the missions you have to bring a person. Yeah, I usually just take Garrus and whoever I need to take with me. Um, Although... The last playthrough I did, I ended up doing Thane's romance because I had never gotten around to doing it because it's really sad. Oh, Thane, the Mads Mikkelsen of space? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't know why you're hot, but you're kind of hot, but you scare me. Yes. Man, Thane, my whole heart. He's like this badass assassin guy, and you like have to like schlep through this whole building to finally get to him. You see him kill this really bitchy lady who super deserves it because she killed, she like put out a hit on her sister and like all this other stuff. And you finally catch up with him, and he's like, Hey, what's up? And you're like, Hey, I need to recruit you for this crazy suicide mission. And he's like, That's cool. I will do it because I'm dying. You hit the brakes and you hear the screech, and you're just like, Wait. What just happened now? <laughs> <laughs> and he explains that he has, you know, this illness that is slowly killing him and he doesn't have that much time left. But what time he does have left 
he wants to atone and he wants to make the world a better place. And like, that's a fucking noble shit. It really is. I mean, you get to know him regardless of whether or not you do the romance or anything like that. But the idea of like taking on a romance with somebody who is, is dying and you know that going in, like, is that a good thing for you to do? Is that a good thing for them? Like, there's just a lot of like interesting implications and questions that you sort of have to deal with. And then because he acts very normal and is able to do all these crazy assassin things, like you kind of forget about it. Right. Until all of a sudden in the third game, when you run into him again, you find him in a hospital and he's like, I'm dying. Like, this is this is getting to be it. And, you know, he's atoned for everything that he feels he needs to. He's reconnected with his son if you did things correctly. And you're not really prepared to see him sort of die in a hospital. And, you know, because of the way things play out, that's not how he ends up going anyway. He dies slowly and almost alone, and it's really heart-wrenching. But it's one of the best romances in the Mass Effect series. 10 out of 10, recommend. (laughs) Though I really want to do a playthrough of the second game, because one of the team-ups I love in the second one is Samara and Kasumi. Yes, I love Kasumi. We really do not talk about Kasumi enough. She is so awesome. And that mission is such a cool mission. Her loyalty mission. You love spy shit. I love spy shit. Mm-hmm. We're doing spy shit in space. How do you make things cooler? You put it in space. <laughs> oh, man. And there's some different game mechanics that you never really get a chance to use any other time. Kasumi's so fun. I love Kasumi. I wish there was at least more that would give you the idea that she and Jacob ended up becoming a thing. You didn't play the Citadel DLC, did you? No, I, for whatever reason, like, I missed that. Um, it's expensive. It's like 20 bucks. What? So I, I understand why a person would skip it, but if you are as emotionally connected to these characters as I am, the $20 is totally fucking worth it because it's very fun. Basically, the whole premise of the Citadel DLC is that right before your final battle with the Reapers, they dry dock your ship so that they can do some repairs to it, and you basically get to hang out with your friends. Aww. So you get to hang out a little bit with Kasumi. Obviously, she doesn't end up with Jacob because of the way that Jacob's character arc plays out. Um, Boom! <laughs> but she Boring. definitely... <laughs> She definitely still hits on Jacob a lot, and it's very funny. <laughs> Jacob, you stubborn, stubborn fool. Uh, I want to like Jacob. We don't get too many like black dudes in a series, and I'm like, he's so milk toast. I'm like, and then the whole thing with his dad basically becoming like weird, desolate space pimp or whatever it was. I'm just like, what is this? Yeah. And I'm supposed to care, and I'm like, I kind of don't. Sorry, Jacob. And also, you're just bored. He's too rigid. He's too military. Like, he's so inoffensive, he's dull. And Jacob and Miranda are supposed to be, like, Cerberus's version of, of Caden and Ashley. Kind of down to the point where both Caden and Jacob are widely thought of as boring. But Jacob has his moments. But for the most part, he is either being so professional and up your ass that it's obnoxious and I hate it, or he's just being a downright dick to people. 
where he is like, you know, you recruit Thane, and he's like, um, what the fuck with this assassin? <laughs> what the fuck with half of these people that you recruited? The only one that he seems like legitimately like hyped about is Tally, who tells him to go fuck himself in the best way possible. Tally and Garrus in such a Mass Effect 3 have so much great banter. Yes. Oh, so to come around to the end of, of your question, in Mass Effect 3, um, basically, if I have the option to take Tally and Garrus, I take Tally and Garrus. Garrus comes with me everywhere because you get Garrus like almost immediately. And then once I get Caden back, I usually take Caden and Garrus. And I feel bad for Jack because I feel like they could have done more with her character, at least in a second game, as opposed to just being like, you know, angry space chick. The thing that bothers me with Jack as a character in this second game is that you don't get to see her character arc fully realized Unless you romance her. Yeah, and that's such a dick move. Like, her worth is solely based on that, which is sending totally the wrong message. Yeah. There are some other things about Mass Effect 2, as far as, like, sending wrong messages, that is a little bothersome. Where I'm like, um, Samara is a thousand-year-old Asari lady warrior badass. You're telling me that her tits are hanging out like that because of a choice that she made? And don't get me wrong, the second one is still my favorite game, but there's definitely some weird choices because the whole Samara Morin thing is weird. I mean, it's not like the worst thing that happens, but it's like you almost went someplace with this, but then it's like you stopped somewhere. Mm -hmm. The option to kill Samara there instead of Morin is so out of left field and random. It makes no sense. No. It's not even, like, hinted at or suggested to be an option up until, like, the very moment in which the little boxes pop up and you can choose. Where, like, I remember the first time playing it being like, why is this even an option? Like, what are we doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Was there more to that that they cut out? Like, the option to keep Morinth versus Samara changes nothing. I didn't play Mass Effect 3, at least in the storyline where Samara is dead, because obviously her storyline kind of comes full circle in the third game. Yes. So I don't know how that plays out when she's not there. Basically, that whole side mission where you have to go and deal with the the monastery and her daughters and stuff, you don't get it. That's not a thing that you do. Okay, in that case, maybe I should do that, because my god, I hate that mission so much. (laughs) I hate, what are they, the sirens? Like, the corrupted Asari? Yeah. Because, yeah, I like having to fight the the damn monster from the Aphex Twin video. Like, this isn't coming to daddy. Like, why are you screaming in my face? You're creepy. Stop this. Oh, those things are unsettling. I hate them. Sorry. No, it's fine. Um, The only other thing that changes, you get an email from Morinth being like, yo, what up? I ditched your ship because it wasn't safe for me to be here. Um, catch her on the flip side. And then when you are doing the battle for Earth at the very end, one of the Asaris that you kill, instead of being named, you know, generic monster, it's just called Morinth. That's it. That's all. Oh, shit. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't see why you would do it. Just keep Samara. Yeah, I don't know what the idea was. And maybe it would have been more fleshed out if they had time. Maybe it's cut content. But I just feel like overall it doesn't go anywhere. And you're just not given enough of an argument to choose Morinth. Like, in that moment, she's like, pick me. I am also strong and badass. That's it. 
The game also does this thing a lot where you're given other options, but the other options aren't as fully fleshed out. Like, the first game wants you to establish this relationship with Liara. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, well, why? I don't. I never really felt that that relationship really warranted where it goes to the rest of the series if you go that route. I don't like Liara in the first game. I like where her character goes in the subsequent games. And I think in order to get her to that place in the subsequent games, you needed to start her in a place very similar to where she starts in the first game. Okay, that's very true, though. But the like... Help, I'm trapped in here. I need help. I can't do anything. I'm fucking useless. Like, that (laughs) shit fucking sucks. You're a badass alien with space magic shit. Like, the biotic abilities are fucking cool. And obviously, like, you're on this planet alone doing, like, your your Prothean research and shit by yourself. Obviously, you can take care of yourself. Just try. Just a little bit. You know, you might surprise yourself on this one. Yeah, and I guess, like, she's playing up the whole, like, kind of socially awkward and weird thing. You know, that's why she attaches to you so quickly. But, like, I can't tell you how many times I've romanced her on accident. I wasn't even trying to. Like, I was just being polite to her. And then all of a sudden she's like, yo, you want to get with this or what? (laughs) I kind of feel like the correct answer is to not romance anybody in the first game. At least in Mass Effect 2, it makes sense. And it's like, we're probably going to die. So we might as well at least, you know, enjoy this one night. But in the first game, it just really doesn't make as much sense to me. From like a storytelling standpoint, the romances in the second game, even the shitty ones, are still more flushed out and more interesting. And you're more invested than the romances in the first game. I've kind of come to the point where I don't I don't romance anybody unless my shepherd is either going to romance Liara throughout the whole series or I'm going to romance Caden or Ashley throughout the whole series. Otherwise, I don't fuck with it. Yeah, and I also realized this is where Bioware got me with the whole interconnected storyline because in the first game, in my very first playthrough, I romance Liara because I'm like, all right, this seems like a thing to do. And then in the second game, it's like me and Jacob became a thing. I was not expecting in Lair the Shadow Broker that Liara's going to bring that shit up. And I'm like, God damn, when did this become public knowledge? <laughs> shit, I forgot your information broker. Damn, so you went through all this to find out that I smashed the Cerberus agent? Like, shit. Oh God. <laughs> and then I really felt like a shitty person. And then I just feel like Bioware called me out because now I look like a dog. And I'm like, that's not me. That's not the person I am. I just didn't think that Liara was coming back like that. <laughs> My favorite thing is when you do that with Garrus and and her comment is like, I see Normandy's guns are not the only thing that he's been calibrating. And I'm like, oh, so wow, Liara's just messy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, all right, Liara, I see you. <laughs> like, you said something earlier, and I think that's something I do love about the series with two and three. You said it in relation to Liara, the concept of hero worship, because by the first game, it's like, you're barely a blip on anybody's radar. Like, you know, you won this decisive battle and, you know, you got a little bit of, a little bit of clout, but then you become like this larger than life character and seeing people react to you on that level in the later games. And even to the point where Legion 
you know, like said, like he's walking around pieces of the N7 armor, and it's just like, who would have fucking thought that someone who'd be wearing my armor is a Geth? You've been looking for me for two years. We visited Therum, Pharos, Novaria, Vermeer, Ilos, a dozen unsettled worlds. The trail ended at Normandy's wreckage. You were not there. Organic transmissions claimed your death. We recovered this debris from your heart suit. That doesn't explain why you use my armor to fix yourself. There was a hole. The whole first game, you're just mowing through these little flashlight-headed robots without really a second thought. Nope. And then you're sort of forced to deal with the repercussions of that in the second game through Legion. If you want to just brush that aside, you can. Or you can sit there and think about, like, man, I've killed thousands of this dude's brothers and sisters or whatever the robot equivalent of that is. You can feel really fucking bad about that. (laughs) And then by the end of the, the third game, when you end up sacrificing Legion to free the rest of the Geth, and he becomes fully actualized, like he starts referring to himself as like a single unit instead of, you know just part of the Geth. He becomes, in essence, like a person. But he's not a person because he's a robot. I don't know, man. Legion's character arc is really cool. He's like Vision if Vision was a Maglite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Legion needs a cape. Yes, and I feel like that's that's what he's missing is a cape. Obviously. And I just feel so bad for him. And, I mean, come on. How could you hate a Geth that pops and locks in his spare time? Like... <laughs> I love Legion. Speaking of romances, one that I think is the most interesting, but creeps me out, and not from like a shaming kind of way, but the Joker Edie scenario. I have a problem with the Edie robot body thing. It was a cool idea to give her a body, but like we were talking earlier about some of the questionable choices that they've made regarding female characters. And I think giving Edie this very hypersexualized robot body was one of those like questionable choices. I think for me personally, like the Joker Edie romance would almost be more interesting if she was still just an AI within the ship. Yeah. Because like they connected before she had a sexy robot body. And he was so distrusting of her because, you know, he was very much like, I'm the pilot. I don't need any assistance. And, you know, they kind of go back and forth. They didn't find out. Then all of a sudden you get back on a ship and now they're cracking jokes together. Like, wait, 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 what? What did I miss? They're friends. And then they become sexy friends. I think a lot of the women in the series tend to have that same issue. And a lot of it tends to go through the male gaze. And I was thinking about, like, let's say Miranda. Oh, my God. The fucking Miranda ass shots. Where I'm like, you don't need to set the camera up at ass level, but you did that just so that you could have her booty in the shot. To this day, it it does not get any easier because it's so painfully gratuitous and to the point where it really is just like, what are we doing? Like, why are we doing this to these characters? And I get it. She's supposed to be like the perfect whatever, but you really leaned in on this to the point where it's uncomfortable. She's got a lot of teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Um... (laughs) that's not not really related but like she just is very toothy and it's i find it distracting as much as i love this game i love this series i can admit like there are some things that sort of bother me and i think almost every female character 
there's an aspect of their character, aspect of the way that they're treated by the plot that bothers me. It feels very Whedon-esque in that regard. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, like, let's say Kelly Chambers or even Jack. I mean, they're like a good chunk of, like, the, at least the women characters, the playable ones end up being almost gratuitously, I don't want to say tortured necessarily, but they're put through these weird perils that feel like as if it's less of just like a story, but as if somehow that's what makes it valid. And the characters that aren't put through that are sort of given these sort of strange like power dynamics and different things. Like one of my favorite romances is the Tally romance. I think it's a very cute but you need to be able to whistle past the fact that canon Shepard is 32 at the beginning of Mass Effect 1. And Tally is essentially a teenager. Yeah. If you can whistle past that, it's fine. The romance is very, very cute. But that power dynamic is kind of upsetting. And there are some things that she says in the romance that also kind of lead to her leaning in on that sort of like damselly, not great power dynamic. I don't know. I want better for Tally. I love her so much. She's so great. Tally and Garrus, they really are to me the heart and soul of the Mass Effect series. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. There's such a like great affection between the two of them, but yet they're so not above roasting each other in like the most <laughs> adorable ways. Do you ever miss those talks we had on the elevators? No. Come on, remember how we'd all ask you about life on the flotilla? It was an opportunity to shape. This conversation is over. Tell me again about your immune system. I have a shotgun. Maybe we'll talk later. (laughs) I have a shotgun. (laughs) Come on, tell me about your immune system. (laughs) The two of them together are so great. The two of them apart are very great. Fucking Tally and Garrus, like, make this whole series for me. Tally and Garrus, five ever. <laughs> Shit, um, we didn't even cover, like, half the crap we wanted to go over. Uh, we definitely should cover Dragon Age, only because that's a series that I, other than Origins, know very little about, and I definitely need to be schooled on that, because I need someone to justify finally beating the second game for me. I can accept that challenge. I just need to know why the pirate lady left me. I'm sorry I wasn't mean enough. <laughs> Oh, God, speaking of problematic female characters. Yeah. But I still am ride or die for Morrigan. As you should be, because she is delightful in the bitchiest way possible. Why do you always go on about how stupid I am? I'm not stupid, am I? If you need to ask the question. Because it hurts my manly feelings, you know. Or one of them. Then I'll be sure to write you an apology once all of this is over. I was educated by the Chantry. I studied history. They don't make stupid Templars. Then I must have been mistaken. I'm very impressed. No, you're not. You're not even listening to me. My, you are smarter than you look after all. Your Chantry must have been very proud. She's so wonderful. Yes. Um, But we can do that next time. Before we go, I have a quandary for you. So let's say in an alternate universe, 
you are Shepard. Okay. And you've just defeated Saren. Tegan and Sarah have decided that they will cover one song for you to rejoice in your in your victory. <laughs> what song do you choose? Oh shit, so like basically like what would be like the ending credit song for Mass Effect? Yes, but Tegan and Sarah have to cover it. Is it wrong that I just want to say dying to know just for the <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I stand corrected. Okay. The song I was thinking of was not dying to know, it was hang on to the night. I like that. I don't know why. I think that'd be a great ending credit song. It feels like an ending credit song, doesn't it? There's just something about it. So what would yours be? Superstar. Ooh, okay. All right, all right. I can, f- I can fuck with this. <laughs> it would be fun. That's all. Also, a little bit of an ego thing. Shepard just saved the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, your fave could never, Galaxy. Plus, star puns. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Like, he and Sarah need to just do a space opera. Hell yeah. Oh, shit, we didn't get a chance to talk about the song. The new song is really good. I knew they were doing a book, and high school sounded cool. I didn't realize that we were dropping an album that was also related and, like, finding these old recordings that they decided to redo. I'll be back some days like, all right, this is cool. Like, I enjoyed it. The first time I heard it, I'm bouncing around like, this is fun. Then came the second and third listen. And now it's like, I dance more if I weren't constantly being soaked in tears. This is the most upbeat, saddest song I've heard in a very long time, and I'm here for it. And that's impressive considering how much Motion City soundtrack you listen to. Well, oh, let's not... God. (laughs) Yeah, I really like it. I listened to it probably about 30 or 40 times in a row. It's so good. Like, of course, I was excited before, but hearing that concept sort of like, here's an example of what we did, like, makes me so excited to hear the rest of the album. I don't know if I'm ready for this yet. I don't know if I'm emotionally ready. You've got like six weeks to get it together, man. I know, but it's like end games coming out like on digital, I think either today or next week. And I'm like, I'm not ready for that either. Like, there's too much emotion in my fandom. Like, I can't handle this. Oh, man. I only ended up seeing it in theaters the one time because I just could not like scrape together the emotional resonance in myself to go again and cry in public again. So I think I'm ready. I'm ready for another endgame. I know I'm going to ugly cry, but I'm going to ugly cry in the privacy of my own home. And I feel pretty good about that. See, what I'll do is maybe I'll digitally rent endgame tonight. Then I'll go back and play Mass Effect. And then, you know what I'll say? You know what? The hell with the Rack and I? They had a good run. I'm done with them. <laughs> Ugly little space roaches. <laughs> Shepard kills bugs dead. That's right. <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. I was walking with the For more great podcasts, visit adrianhasissues.com.